Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Today, uh, we're going to get into a portion of the word uh, that we're calling uh, today, you messed up. You messed up. You blew it. You twit. What's wrong with you? Why'd you do that? I don't know. How how many things like that have you ever heard? Oh, yeah. And sometimes there are people that you know well. Uh, sometimes there are people you don't even know well, but yeah, oh, you, you don't have to live too long before somebody's in your face saying, you messed up. Why? Because we probably did. We probably did mess up. Uh, then there is also the flip side of it. What about, what about us? Do, have we ever told anybody? Have we ever looked at somebody, even pointed at somebody, reached our finger to them and said, you messed up. You blew it. So today we're going to look actually at uh, how do we, as the body of Christ, the family of God, and the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, how do we deal and how do we respond when people mess up, when they blow it, when they fail, when they fall, is there a way that we do? Um, you know, when I was when I was growing up, <clears throat> my last spanking <laughs> was um, uh, this is embarrassing. It was when I was sixteen. Indeed, there was a little gap. You know, I. They weren't all in there right up to 16, but 16. And um, my dad, he, he was, he was um, actually pretty good at giving a spanking. And um, he did it in such a fashion that you never wanted it to happen again. And my mother, it wasn't so bad, but my dad, whoa, Nellie. And uh, he would always say, you know, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. And I would think I would never snarl or look funny at him because that would make it worse. I just would like, but in my head, secretly, I'd think, <laughs> fat chance that this is, this is hurting you worse than it's hurting me. It's hurting me. You're hurting me. But this last spanking was a little different because instead of um, me crying at first, he cried, and that was before he even gave it. He cried, and um, he uh, he sat on the bed with me, and he said, "Do you know what it is you did?" And I did, and he said, "Do you know why I'm needing to give you a spanking?" And I did. He said, "Now this is the way it is." He said, "You are a Bierman, and that's my maiden name." He said, you're a beerman, and beermans don't act like this. We don't do this. 
He said, number two, you're a child of God. You're a Christian. And Christians don't do this. We don't do this. Number three, you're a minister. And even though, you know, we were young, my, my, my family, you know, my siblings and I, we, we were ministers in our community. We had a teeny little community, 2,000 uh, people. And, uh, but we did a lot of things in the community. We sang and different, different things in the community. So the, the whole town knew us more than just preacher's kids. We, were, we also were known to, to minister. And so Daddy said, you represent Jesus Christ as a minister. And ministers don't do that. They just don't do that. So, um, and then he proceeded to make sure I never did that again. But you know what? I love uh, the way that Paul writes to the church. And it was a little bit the way that my dad talked to me in this respect, and you'll hear it. Instead of Paul writing um, when it came to behavior and different things we needed to do, Paul didn't say, you need to do this. You need to stop doing this. You ought to do this. You should have done this. Paul didn't say so much of that. He sprinkled that in a little bit. You'll see it in his writings. But it is not the main way. He, he conveyed the way that we respond or we react and act as a member of the body of Christ, a member of the family of God, and a citizen of the kingdom of God. The way he talked was, this is what we do. As though we knew it. He said, this is what we do. And he would give a situation, a scenario, and he'd say, this is what we do. And I like that. It was not so... Uh, you know, putting the law down on us and saying this, you, you must, you shall, you shall not. He said, no, you're a Christian. This is what we do. And it helps school people into really to understand their new identity. We were singing about being new. We have a new way of doing things. We have a new way of reacting to things. And so Paul was real good at doing that, and that's what we're going to look at today. When somebody messes up, and people do, people do mess up. We mess up, but we live in a, a world where pretty much people are going to mess up. Is there something in the book that tells us what we do? as a member of the family of God, as a member of the body of Christ, as a, as, as, a, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what do we do? Number one, are you ready? Here we go. This is what we do. Or I should start with, this is what we don't do, okay? We don't look for dirt. I don't care what it was that you've ever done in all of your life before, what anybody else that you've known. Uh, we're not the media. We don't look for dirt. In the family of God, 
in the body of Christ, as members of the body of Christ, and in the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom, we don't look for dirt on people. Let's look at this verse of scripture, Romans the eighth chapter, and verse five says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, in Bible terminology, when it's talking about people who live according to the flesh, it means that they're immature spiritually. They're not developed spiritually. In other words, uh, they respond to how they're feeling or what other people are doing. They're really reacting to their surroundings, where a spiritually mature person responds to the greater one on the inside instead of things external. So the Bible calls this kind of a person a flesh-ruled Christian or a carnal Christian because they, they're all about how they feel and how somebody made them feel. This verse of Scripture says that those people that live like that, they, they set their minds on things of the flesh. And the works of the flesh that are actually listed in Galatians, the sixth chapter, or fifth chapter, uh, quite, quite an ugly list of different things that people can do wrong. So when, a lot of times when we interpret this verse of scripture, it says that we, uh, people that are in the flesh, they put their minds on things of the flesh, and we're thinking about that for ourselves. If I'm in the flesh, then I'm always thinking about things of the flesh. But I want us to look at it this way. If we're looking for dirt and find it in people, if we find works of the flesh in other people, and we're always being skilled and have great ability to find somebody's flesh, according to this verse of scripture, what are we in? Say it out loud. What are we in? If you are good at seeing the dirt in somebody, if you're skilled at seeing what's wrong with people and where people are missing it, guess what we're in? We're in the flesh. So a lot of times you're in the flesh, but what does that make you? In the flesh. Didn't mean to see it like that, did we? So in other words, it's not a mark of spiritual maturity to be able to say, they're in the flesh. You might as well wear a sandwich sign, a sign on your forehead that says, I am carnal and in the flesh because I can see what you've done wrong. So what do we do as a member of the body of Christ? A fam the part of the family of God, a citizen in the kingdom of God, we don't look for dirt. We don't look for dirt. What else don't we do? Now we're going to look at what we do do a little bit later, but what else do we not do? We don't accuse. Why? Well, look who the accuser is. Revelation, the 12th chapter and verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ. For the accuser 
of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God, our God, how often? Annually, every once in a while? No. The accuser of the brethren, his very existence, what he does day and night is accuse. Satan is an accuser. He's, he's professional at it. He does it well. He'll set you up in a trap that causes you to fail or to fall or somebody else to fail or to fall. And then he accuses. He accuses you to yourself. He accuses you, of course, this scripture says to God, but he accuses you to yourself and he accuses you to other people and helps other people see your dirt. So what we do not do as a member of the body of Christ, member of the family of God, citizen of the kingdom of God, we do not sound anything like him. An accusing voice is a satanic sound. If it's been something that has been of a habit, you, what we can do is take ourselves to the one who is the advocate and the one who is love, get filled with his word, and that word will wash our mouth out with holy soap <laughs> so that we don't sound anything like God's enemy, the accuser of the brethren. Okay, what else don't we do? We don't condemn. Isn't condemning the same as accusing? No, accusing is one thing. You're accused, but then condemnation is actually giving sentence to, attaching guilt to somebody, assigning doom to somebody. You're accusing them of doing something and saying, and so you're never going to make it. You're always going to fail. Condemnation. Let's look at Romans 14 and verse 4. And this is why we, as the body of Christ, as members of the family of God, and a citizen of the kingdom of God, we don't do this. This is not something we do. Romans 14, 4. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And look at this last phrase. And with the Lord's help, they will stand. And they'll receive his approval. Someone else's servant. No one else, as far as the context of this scripture, is my servant. I didn't die for anybody's sin. None of us have the rank of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't. He wouldn't condemn 
and it is not our right to condemn. What's another thing we don't do? Expose. We don't expose. In this family, for members of, of our church family, the body of Christ, the family of God, other citizens in the kingdom of God that fail, that fall, that make mistakes, we don't expose. There's a story in the Old Testament. You know, I love these old stories. There's a story in the Old Testament, uh, well, a quite stretched quite, quite a few uh, chapters and books about David. David, first of all, is adored and loved by Saul. But when Saul saw that uh, the people really, they really liked him and that um, he was actually a better warrior than he was, then he hated him. He loathed him and he made it his life's mission to try to kill him. So Saul would leave off from <clears throat> like kingly, <clears throat> official kingly and kingdom business to hunt David down like a dog. Two separate occasions, David could have taken Saul's life, but did not because he respected not what, how Saul was acting, but the position that Saul had as king and as the anointed of God. So he refused and wouldn't let anyone else touch him either. Finally, Saul does get killed in battle, and there's two different accounts on how that could have happened. Two different accounts, and, but he got killed in battle along with his son Jonathan, David's um, kindred friend. And the news gets back to David. And notice in 2 Samuel 1 in verse 11. And David and his men, when he heard the news, threw a party with dancing and singing and lots of food. And they shouted it from the housetops. Yay, the wicked king is dead. The wicked king is dead. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. When David heard the news that Saul, the one that was trying to kill him, had been killed, David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. Really? Wouldn't it be? It's, you know, especially with revenge movies the way it is when the bad guy, they're just like, yeah, get him. And don't just kill him quick. Kill him where it really hurts. So when you got somebody like David, who's this amazing warrior, and the one that's been trying to kill him for years gets killed, and he, he cries and tears his clothes, and God calls him a man after his own heart. We probably need to take note because the scripture says that God does not rejoice at the death of the wicked. So if you and I are cranked up by just the world's way of revenge, 
And we're cheering when, cheering when people die. We're cheering when somebody goes down. We may take affirmation from the faces around us, but don't look at the throne. Because the one sitting there is not smiling and he's not applauding. I remember years ago, uh, well, let me finish this. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan, for the Lord's army and for the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. I remember years ago when, when uh, Osama, uh, was, yeah, it was not Osama bin Laden, it was um, Saddam Hussein was killed. And they flashed his picture, you know, he, they dug him really, they got him out of a hole in the ground. And his hair was all awful, and he'd been really just living underground. We were in prayer school. I still remember it. We were in prayer school, and um, that news came, and that picture flashed, and it made me sick at my stomach. I couldn't cheer, and even, even thinking of that man's face right now, I could cry. It may be the way of people in the world. It may be the way of certain groups in the world to cheer when masses of people die. It is not our way. Not in the family of God, not in the body of Christ, and not as a citizen of the kingdom of God. David's funeral song was, Your pride and joy, this is in 2 Samuel 1, 19 and 20, your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. He wrote all kind of worship songs. This was one of his songs about Saul and Jonathan. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice and the pagans will laugh in triumph. Um, actually, when, when Solomon, or I mean, when Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines, they were taken to a Philistine town and strung up in the city square, and great parties were thrown around them, and they were desecrated, you know. And these noble people from Israel, uh, with the risk of their own lives, went and got their bodies down and buried them. And David uh, congratulated them and, and honored them for doing that. Later on, David went and got the bones of both of these men and buried them. Um, this story is interesting. These words that David uses, don't publish it in Ashkelon. Arangath. What are that? Those are Philistine towns. Those are just world towns. In other words, I don't care what somebody does to you, somebody does to somebody else. If there's sins in the body of Christ, in the family of God, of other citizens in the kingdom of God, we don't publish it on social media. We don't do that. We don't do that. If there's something that somebody's done wrong, we deal with it in-house, but we don't 
take it to the world. For the enemies of God to blaspheme. Oh. We don't do that. What do we do? As a member of the body of Christ, in the family of God, citizen of the kingdom of God, what do we do when somebody falls and fails? Well, look at James 5.19. This is what we do. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, a sinner or someone who sins from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Two other places in Scripture, it talks about love that covers a multitude of sins. You have to know that what this is talking about of covering a multitude of sin is not a cover-up. It's not a cover-up. God's not in the business of deception. We don't have to pretend like nothing bad has happened, that the person didn't actually fall or fail or make a terrible mistake. We don't have to pretend any of that, but there is a right way of doing something. Cover-up is not love covering. They're two different things. Well, what do we do? Because we'll see what that covering is as we keep going. Another thing that we do, another thing we do is we restore. Hmm. Don't you like that word? We restore. No, we don't destroy. There is someone who does that. The same one who is the accuser is also the destroyer. We steer clear of harmonizing with him at all. Let's look at this. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in a misconduct, please let's just be honest for just a second. Has anybody in here been overtaken in a misconduct? Now, while your hand is still up, just reach over, look at anybody else who had their hand up and slap them and condemn them and accuse them. And then we're going to get to exposing them before the end of the service. No, that's not what we're going to do. That's not what we do. If any person is overtaken in a misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual. Now, if you're not spiritual, if you're carnal, person in the flesh, you won't do this. But if you are spiritual, this is what you do. You who are spiritual, you who are responsive to and controlled by the Holy Spirit, should set him right and restore and reinstate him without any sense of superiority. And with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, 
lest you should be tempted also. These kind of statements like, I don't know how he could have done that. I just don't know how she could have done that. I, it's, just, it's just beyond me how they could fall like that. I, how they could make a mess like that. It's just beyond me. That's called superiority. And you know what you're setting yourself up for? Cleaning the carpet from between your teeth. You'll have to get up yourself. Somebody's going to have to restore you soon. It's a spiritual law you put into operation when you come on this holier-than-thou superiority type thing. It's about the mercy of God. Let's look at another verse here. Verse 2 says, bear, endure, carry one another's burdens, troublesome moral faults, and in this way fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ, the Messiah, and complete what is lacking in your obedience to it. Bear one another's burdens. If somebody has mucked up, somebody's made a mistake, somebody's messed up, rather than looking witheringly at them or pathetically at them, you shoulder that. You bear it along with them to help relieve it. You say, well, how? How do we do that? How, how do we? Well, the next way is a practical way. It is not the only way, but I would say it is the way that sets you up for any other thing that needs to be, to be done. And there's other things that should be done, but you enter in through this door of prayer. You see somebody mess up 1 John 5, 16. The Bible's very clear about what to do when people mess up. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you say, what does that mean? It's talking about a type of sin that renounces and denounces Jesus Christ as the Son of God and calls his blood an unholy thing. The sins that you see, that we see each other do, are moral or, you know, they're mistakes, they're ethical, they're terrible, but they're not this, okay? So, if you see a brother sin a sin that's not unto death, what do you do? What do you do? You pray. You pray. And, that, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. Because they really don't want you to anyway. They don't want to be restored. But the person who sins, we pray for them, and God will give them life. God will give them life. Notice what we get to pass to, to people is life, not condemnation, not guilt, not accusation. We pass life to people and help them be restored. We're going to look at another example of prayer, but before we do, you know, when I was um, knowing the right response and being able to help makes a, a big, big difference. When I was, um, uh, you know, back in Colorado before going to Rama in uh, 1976, okay, this is a long time ago, um, 
I got my, I did a study and got certified as an emergency medical technician. And I loved it. I liked the emergency room. I liked, I liked the screaming sirens. I liked not knowing what was going to be there. I, there was something about it, and it didn't bother me. It really didn't bother me, uh, you know, what you would see, the sights, the smells. It, it didn't bother me. Um, but when I had uh, Liliana, Liliana had a wart on the bottom of her foot. And um, so I uh, took her to a podiatrist to get it taken off because we'd tried the compound W and all that kind of stuff. And it not, nothing worked. And so I took her to podiatrist and, and um, they stuck a needle in it, a long needle to deaden the area. And um, she, started, she started screaming and, and, um, and I was holding her down. And uh, it, it was troublesome to me in my soul because she was screaming, Mama, no! So I should have been the one to be protective of her, and yet I'm holding her down to take more of it, you know. <laughs> and um, so then they got this thing to root out that, that wart on the bottom of her foot, and she was just screaming, just crying. And, and the room started spinning. And I started just, just about to hit the deck. And the nurse that was accompanying the doctor had to leave off the procedure that they were doing on my daughter's foot. They had to stop the whole thing. And she had to help me get out of the room <laughs> and sit in front of a fan. It's pathetic. Once I gained a little composure, I, then I came back in. But they had to get me out of there because I was no help to them. If you don't know how to restore, if you don't know how to restore, sometimes our presence around something in this restoration process that God is doing with people. Well, God, don't you know that they did this? God, don't you know? As though he doesn't know. Let me just tell you what they did. He said, well, Satan already did. You want to sing a duet with him? How about a choir with him? Or how about not? How about we say something different than the accuser of the brethren? How about we know how to help restore so we can be in the room and work together with the Holy Ghost. That when we see the worst of somebody, that it isn't, doesn't have this effect like, oh, let me, let me take a quick picture of that. Also a selfie with that and put it up on something. No. Listen to how Daniel prayed. Daniel was in Babylon for 70 plus years of his life, his 90 plus years of life. I think he was about 95 years old. 
He was taken there as a young man because the Israelites had so given themselves to the worship of false gods that their lives were completely past depraved. They were offering their babies up in f to fire, burning their babies in the mouths of foreign uh, contraptions of foreign gods. Just horrible. And that, that's only one thing. They did terrible things. They ended up in Babylon as a result of it. Now 70 years later, a prophecy that at the end of 70 years they would come back and Daniel finds this prophecy and he starts praying over this prophecy about the people coming back. He's old at this time. You have to hear how he's praying. Listen to this. Daniel 9, we'll start with verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O oh Lord, you are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But those idiot Jews, those horrible Israelites have sinned and done wrong and they've gotten what they deserved. Is that what he said? He said, we have sinned. We? I remember when I first really saw that in the Bible, when I was studying and I circled every we down this prayer. And it startled me. I just thought, he's the one. He is one who has actually not sinned. And yet he is saying, we you have to know that as a, as a restoration, we can't even in our prayers have accusation. Oh, God, help them. Get over there and help them. I can't even look on it. I just can't even look on it. Just go help them. It's not the way of our family. It's not the way of the body of Christ. It's not the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus demonstrated the way of the kingdom of God when he looked on us failing, falling, absolutely defiled humanoids, and he didn't say, what's wrong with you people? What did he do? He became us. And he didn't even help us from heaven. He got down here and lived among us. Not for two weeks, not a holiday. He did it for 30 years. He became one of us. If we want to restore people, and I believe because years for years we've been praying that, 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 that prodigals would come home people that have gone away from God and they want God, but they just are pretty sure the church is saying bad stuff about them. While they've been gone, they've been, they've been being bullied among the family of God. They would love to have God, 
But coming home is a scary thing. Our father doesn't want our home to be a scary thing. He wants that any one of us would act just like him. And when somebody comes home, we take them in. And until they come home, we're praying. Not accusatory prayers, but prayers that are like, Father, if one of our people have fallen, we're with them. We're with them. We're just with them. Not standing back like you, unholy thing. Get yourself sorted and then come back. That's not the way of our family. It's like, come home. Father will, Father will help you. This morning, and if you guys could please come. This morning, if you need to come home, come home. There was this old song we used to sing. Um, sometimes at the end of a service, but we're going to sing about the love of God. We used to sing this song earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling calling for you to come home. He in the portal or at the doorway is waiting and watching, watching for you to come home. Come home, come home. Aren't we loving our Father? Don't we love Him the way He is? And aren't you thankful that you and I have had the same spiritual birth? All of, those, all of those things that we don't do anymore, they're a part of who we're not anymore. That's not even who we are. We've talked about this morning who we are. We're, we're children of our Father. And He's a good Father. Why don't you just put your hands up to Him? He's putting his hands out towards you. Oh, Father God, I thank you for the love you have for every person in this room. I thank you for the love that you have every, for every person outside of this room. Help us to represent your love. Help us to represent your restoration. Help us to represent your forgiveness and kindness and goodness. He who comes to God, God will not cast him out. He'll take him in and forgive him. Restore him. sing together but his mercy is here for people here but I would like for you right now in his precious love he's here his love is here 
think of somebody who's done something wrong, who's failed or fallen in some way, misrepresented God in a colossal way, maybe in a little way. It doesn't make any difference. They've just fallen. And they're going to sing. And I'd like you, just where you are right now, I'd like you to pray. Father, help them. Father, give life to them. Father, have mercy on them. Father, help them to know your love today. So as they're singing, I'd like you, let's be the body of Christ. Let's practice that love. And let's pray. God, they're going to sing. And you pray. Lift up somebody. It could be more than one person. Mercy of God to come to them. Forgiveness of God to come. morning there's a time for ministry up in the front people be open hearted open armed if you want prayer for yourself or you want prayer for somebody else come 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 to his love praise the name of the Lord Um, and then um, Peter and Athena I'd like to pray for you before you leave to go to Europe for a while. Praise the Lord. Can we all stand? His love is so strong here right now. Praise the Lord. His love for us, His love to us, His love in us, and His love through us. Why don't you just put your hand on somebody and... and, uh, Minister that love. There's healing in that love. There's healing in it right now. Healing is happening. That healing is happening. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.